right, let's just pray before we get started, shall we? Father, we just want to thank you again for your word. Lord, we thank you that your son Jesus is the ultimate living word, and we pray that as we consider what's been written down together, that you would make it alive to us. Lord, I pray that you would spark thoughts in us. Lord, that you would help us to connect with what you want us to hear this morning. We just pray that you'd be with us and you'd help us to connect with you and with each other as we think about these things together. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So um, I love that you're doing a series in 1 Samuel at the moment. Um, And Keith and I were just chatting last night about the importance of story and how great stories are. Because if you think about it, our lives are stories, aren't they? We have a beginning when we were born. We have a middle, which is maybe now-ish, I don't know. And we have an end, which will be at some point. I don't really know when, do we? Um, and the Bible is like that. It has, it's kind of got an overarching beginning, middle, and end that it's kind of anticipating. But also our lives are full of kind of mini-stories as we go along, aren't they? So we say, oh, how was your day? And we hear someone's mini story, don't we? Well, my day was great, thanks. Or, oh, my day was terrible. My boss is so annoying. Or whatever it is. And that's their story, isn't it, of the day. And the Bible's like that too. It has lots of mini stories as we go along that kind of express something of the bigger story. And I think it's really important because it allows us to connect with the Bible. So there are points in our lives that touch points in the Bibles because we're, we're all living in this, living out stories. We're kind of living um, narratives. Things happen to us. Uh, we feel things. Uh, we understand story. And so it's a really good way to connect with what's going on. Um, and so as we consider this um, story this morning of David and Jonathan's friendship, um, Let's think about the ways that it's going to connect with our story. And I do just want to say as well that these are just my thoughts about this story. It's not a definitive kind of, this is the only right interpretation of this passage of scripture. It's just thoughts that I had as I was mulling it over with God that I just want to share with you in hopes that maybe they'll be helpful to you too. So let's just start by reading some of this story. Um, We're going to start in 1 Samuel and chapter 18. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app on your phone or your iPad or wherever you're reading from, if you want to look that up with me. So 1 Samuel chapter 18. And we're going to start right at the beginning there. So we've just had the whole David has killed Goliath part of the story, which I know you looked at last time. Um, And so we're on to the next bit now. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David, and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul sent him over the men, set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. 
And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. And then we kind of get a whole chunk of the story where Saul basically keeps trying to kill David and David keeps um, getting away with it, keeps escaping. And, and then Jonathan says, Dad, what are you doing? Saul has, uh, David hasn't done anything wrong. Why are you trying to kill him? And Saul says, okay, okay, I, I won't try and kill him. And then he goes out and tries and kills him again. And it, this kind of comes to a climax. It all kind of comes to a head. Um, in chapter 20, so if you just flip over to there, um, Jonathan and Saul are talking again, and um, right in verse 30, it says, Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? That's pretty harsh words, isn't it? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. And for Saul, that's really the heart of the matter, isn't it? Jonathan is the son of the king. Jonathan is the one who should be extending his father's line, who should be the next in the line to the throne. And even Saul, in his kind of bitter and jealous state, has recognized, hang on a minute, this doesn't look like it's going to happen. This is not the right story. Uh, hello, God, don't you know about the way that um, sovereignty works and how um, the kingship is passed down through the son? You know, David's nothing to do with me. He's not from my family. He's just from this family of a poor farmer somewhere. He's not even the oldest son in his family. And there are two kind of parallel stories going on. You know, we talked about how important story is. And in lots of ways, we can choose which kind of story we're going to live out in our lives. And in this passage, often we kind of think well, it's about David and Jonathan. And it is about David and Jonathan. And a comparison we often draw is between Saul and David. You know, Saul who kind of loses God's anointing and who ends up mess making a mess. And David who is not perfect, but he's God's chosen one. And we kind of compare these two. But I think in this passage, we've got the contrasting stories of Saul and of Jonathan, the father and son, and how they both react to David. Saul is a very bitter man, isn't he? Right at the beginning of the passage that we looked at, his bitterness overtakes him. There's a root of bitterness that's sown in him. How come they're singing about ten thousands that David killed and only thousands that I killed? It's right there, isn't it, in black and white. It makes him angry. It touches a raw nerve inside of him. I wonder if there are raw nerves that get touched inside of us sometimes. Well, how come she gets to lead worship? I'm the worship leader in this church. Don't people know that? That's my gift. That's what I do. It's my thing. You know? How come they get to be head of the children's work? I'm, I'm the teacher. I'm qualified. I know what I'm doing. I just wonder if... We sometimes let those things grow up in us. And um, we're told in Hebrews 12, it says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up. We've got a really good example in this story of what happens when bitterness is allowed to grow up inside us. That's what Saul demonstrates to us. He's bitter. He's jealous. He hadn't dealt with his issues. 
He was too concerned with himself. He was too concerned with comparing himself. But it's interesting that right at the root of this story as well, we've got Jonathan, who had dealt with his issues. And I think we see that in, where was it, verse 4. So there are some things that I just want to pull out of here. And again, this is just some pointers, some things that I thought were interesting as I was reading the story. Um, We've got a list of things that Jonathan gives to David. So the first thing he gives him is his robe. And to me, that just kind of spoke of an honoring and of a kind of, you know, we talk about passing the mantle on, don't we? And I think Jonathan was maybe recognizing something in David. He saw what God was doing in his friend's life. And he was saying, I'm going to cooperate with this. I recognize you, David. I recognize there's something that God's doing with you. A friend of mine told a story recently. She's pregnant and she went to um, visit the midwife and the midwife um, put the machines on her or whatever so she could hear the baby's heartbeat. And there was all, she said there was all this swooshing and noises and stuff and she couldn't hear the baby's heartbeat and she got really upset. And so the midwife um, started to just tap out the heartbeat on her wrist of the baby's heartbeat. And then my friend could hear it she kind of tuned into it and once she heard it she was like oh my gosh that's amazing that, of course that there's the heartbeat how could I have missed it before and she said it's often how we can be with other people you know when you talk to somebody you can hear all the noise that's going on all the different things they're saying all the kind of swishing around that we kind of lose their heartbeat and we need God to kind of tap it out for us don't we we need to tune into their heartbeat what's really going on inside of them So we've just come to our first talking point. So my question for you is, how can we do that? How can we recognize what God's doing in other people? How can we tune in to their heartbeat, to what's really going on behind the surfacey noise? So just take a couple of minutes, find someone to chat to, and have a think about it. Is that okay? Should we come back together? It's great to chat, isn't it? Because as the body of Christ, we've got a kind of collective wisdom that we can uh, use together. Just because somebody's up at the front doesn't mean they've got all the answers or all the things that everyone needs to hear today. So it's really good to draw on each other's thoughts and wisdom, isn't it? Um, I don't know what you guys were talking about then, but for me, um, something I've been thinking about is trying to recognize people's motivation when they're maybe being noisy um, and not judging them. And this kind of came out for me recently in a, a conversation with somebody that I know but not super well and they said to me oh I'm moving house Abby and you'll have to come over because I think we should just have a good moan together about this that and the other and I was just thought oh I don't really want to do that that doesn't sound very appealing to me I don't really want to sit and have a good moan that's a bit depressing isn't it and I was trying to think how can I get out of going I don't really want to go I was chatting to another friend about it and she said yeah but Abby that 
that lady's a single mom and her only daughter's about to leave home and go to university. And I think she's just actually lonely. I think she'd just like some company. I thought, yeah, that's true. I didn't listen beyond the noise, as it were, to hear what she was really saying. It just helped me. My other friend helped me just adjust my perspective. I think, actually, I will, I will go and spend time with her. And maybe we can turn it around and just watch a movie or do something more positive instead of moaning. But I, didn't, I wasn't listening to what was going on behind what she was saying. And I think that's really important, isn't it? So Jonathan was cooperating with what God was doing in his friend's life. He was honoring him and supporting what was going on. The second thing he gives him is his armour. It's quite interesting to notice that um, Saul gave David his armour earlier on, but it didn't fit him. So you can uh, draw your own conclusions about what that means, but I just thought it was an interesting point. And for me, that giving of his armour spoke about dropping his defences and making himself vulnerable. And in reality, we need that. We need trustworthy friends that we can be honest with, don't we? I mean, Jonathan didn't go around giving his armour to any old people, to everyone he met, did he? But he recognised something in David. He's a trustworthy man. He's a man after God's heart. He's someone I could actually drop my defences with and be real with. And interestingly, David respected that. And he accepted it as a gift. He didn't do that whole British thing of, oh, no, that's too, too nice a gift. I couldn't possibly accept it. And to me, I, I was just thinking, you know, maybe this isn't what the writer intended in the story at all. But for me, what I drew from it was, you know, somebody is being vulnerable with you and is being real and says, do you know what? Actually, I'm having a really hard time at the moment. Do you know what? Things aren't going too great for me. Let's make sure we respect that and we treat them with honour and we treat it as a privilege that somebody is actually willing to share what's really going on with them. A friend of mine gave me some advice when I was having a hard time recently. She said, make sure you stay close to the people who really know you. Make sure you stay connected to the people who really know you. You don't have to tell everyone what's going on. You don't have to confess your deepest secrets to every single person you bump into in church. But make sure you're connected to those people who do really know you, who you can be vulnerable with. And my favorite quote about friendship is one that says, um, a good friend is someone who knows the song in your heart and can sing it back to you when you've forgotten the words. A good friend is someone who knows the song in your heart and can sing it back to you when you've forgotten the words. Because I don't know about you, but I forget my song quite a lot. I do. Life gets busy. You know, I have these 28 little people to sort out who all need something from me all day, every day. I'm studying, I'm trying to write essays, and I can just forget easily what really makes me sing. And I need a good friend to remind me, this is what you're like, Abby. Don't forget, this is who you really are. So I've come to the second of our talking points. Um, how are you doing with that? Do you have those people in your life? And are you that person for someone else? So do you feel like you have those people in your life or is that something you maybe need to develop? And are you that, can you, are you that person for somebody else? So if you'd like to have a quick chat about that, that'd be great. Okay, shall we come back together then?
useful thing is that if you're having a conversation that you're enjoying, then you can just carry on afterwards, can't you? Okay, if it sparks some thoughts in you that you'd like to pursue a bit further. Um, this kind of thing about friendship came home to me recently. I went to Glasgow to visit some old friends who I hadn't seen for years. And by people who really know me, and my friend Debs just kind of, as we talked about, sang my song back to me and said, this is what you're like, Abby. Don't forget, this is, I know you, I know who you are. It was just really refreshing to me. Not everyone can say that to me. You can't be best friends with 300 people, can you? I know lots of people in my life. And like we were saying before, we need to be wise about who we let our defences down with, about who we trust. But we do need people in our lives like that that can say to us, this is who you are. Don't forget, this is who God's called you to be. I've seen you do this. I know the great things that you're capable of. Don't forget to live like it. Because it's inspiring, isn't it? And it sparks something in you. It reminds you who you really are. So the final thing I just want to point out is that... um, Jonathan, he'd given his robe, he'd given his armour, and he also gave his sword and his bow over to David. And to me, it just popped a picture in my mind of just letting go of anything that he could hurt David with. I think for Jonathan, it would have been really easy to hold on to emotional hurts, emotional, a bit of bitterness. Well, I should have been the king, really. That was my job people should be singing about me. Why didn't God anoint me as king? Why why aren't I allowed to do that role? It would have been really, really easy for him to hold on to that. Or for him to spend his life comparing himself to David and just feeling a bit inferior, just feeling a bit insecure, just feeling like, oh, I'm not quite good enough. I didn't make the grade. But he didn't do that. And for me, his kind of laying down of his sword and his bow just speaks of letting go of those things, just letting go of anything that he could just hold on to, just kind of barb David with later. There's an old saying that hurt people hurt people. In other words, when we're hurt, the way we react is to hurt people, isn't it? I know because I've done it. And I'm sure you probably have too. So we've got to let go of those things, haven't we? I found this out the hard way. I used to really struggle with insecurity when I was a young woman, when I was kind of late teens, early 20s, and I found it really tough not to be insecure. And I used to think, well, it's fine because it just affects me. You know, I feel horrible about myself, but everyone else is all right, aren't they? And then, kind of without going into all the details, as a result, a direct result of my insecurity, I really caused offence to somebody. I really, really offended them. And it was terrible, and I really hurt them. And it just was such a good lesson to me that I've got to deal with this in myself because I'm going to end up inadvertently hurting people, and I don't want to hurt people. That's not my heart. That's not who I am. And so I have to deal with these things. I have to lay them down and let them go. And sometimes we need to revisit these things, don't we? I know I've had times in my life where someone's really hurt me and it hasn't been an instant thing to forgive them. I want to forgive them. I want to do it. I've worked through it enough that I'm actually at a place where I want to forgive someone. And then something else comes up or something comes into my mind or I remember how badly I felt and I just need to let it go again and let it go again and let it go again. I read recently about a woman who was talking about holding on to, she called them the jagged mean words. She said, I'm holding on to them. But all 
they're doing is really slicing my palms. I just need to let them go. And for me, it just kind of came into my mind because it was like a picture of what if Jonathan had just held onto his sword with his hands and just ended up cutting himself. But he laid it at David's feet and just said, I'm going to let go of this stuff. Because when we're friends with people, stuff comes up, doesn't it? I've said things I regret. People have said things to me that hopefully they regret because they've hurt me. So we just need lots of grace, don't we, to keep laying those things down. And so I want to finish there. Um, We're not going to have a talking point at the end there, but I just want to leave that with you for you to think about maybe on your own. How are you doing with that? Are there some things you just need to let go of this morning so that you can stay close with your friends? So we've talked about how Jonathan respected David. He cooperated, he listened to what was going on, he saw what God was doing and supported it. He let down his defences with a man that he saw was trustworthy and he let go of anything that was hurtful that could come between them. So those are my thoughts on Jonathan and David. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you.